with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at, their, at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Thank you, Simone. This is our parable for the night. We continue to work through the stories Jesus told. Uh, whether you know it or not, I'm pretty sure you don't, because I didn't tell you. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been uh, sort of working through different objections that people might have to coming to Jesus, to participating in this thing that uh, Jesus calls the kingdom. Uh, last week it was self-righteousness. A few weeks ago it was the reality of judgment or the authority of God's word. Tonight it's a bit of a strange one, and I think it's a barrier nonetheless. And before I tell you what it is, maybe I can illustrate it a little bit. Um, and maybe this is just me. It probably is just me. But... Is it just me? Or there are some people that are just too nice? I've told this story before. Now, some of you are very nice. But I'm not talking about you. I've said this before. That was a, a number of years ago. I was in a... I'll use the word stuck. I was stuck in the car with a, a fellow who was very, very nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. A five-hour car ride. And he was so nice, and he really wanted to get to know me, that about a third of the way through that trip, I seriously contemplated throwing myself in the car. I'm not kidding. I didn't see any other way of escape. <laughs> well, it's sort of the hyperbole and not too much at the same time. And it certainly says something about me and my character more than that guy, who's really a great guy. Um, but, but sometimes uh, people can just be too good, too nice, too generous to take. We question their sincerity. Uh, we question maybe their sanity. And tonight, uh, as we look at our parable, we're going to have to wrestle with the possibility that, that maybe some of us, Maybe all of us are, are the kind of spiteful people that would avoid someone like Jesus because he's too good, because he's too generous. It seems hard to fathom that we might avoid someone because they're good and generous. But I think it's possible. I think it's what we see in our parable tonight. Let us pray together. Jesus, we uh, come to another one of your stories tonight, Lord. And we pray that you'd be gracious and by your spirit to draw near to illumine our minds, which are uh, a little slow, a little tired, and for the most part, uh, hostile to you, even among us that know you. Lord, be gracious by your Spirit to, to bend our hearts and minds and wills to your way. Help us to see you in your goodness and glory. Soften our hearts, Lord, that we might not only want you, uh, but be gracious to accept you by faith. Pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. A couple of years ago, I don't remember where I was, I was watching some documentary. It's a documentary on Heidi Fleiss. You may not know who Heidi Fleiss is. She was famous when you were just wee little children. She was famous as the reigning Hollywood madam. That is, she ran the premier prostitution ring in Hollywood and was famous for it. Uh, she made a million dollars in her first couple months doing this. And she became something of a celebrity. Became even more of a celebrity when she went to jail soon after for tax evasion. She's also a complete mess 
and highly narcissistic and not a very nice person. But this interview was fascinating. And uh, she now lives on a chicken ranch in the middle of nowhere in Nevada or something like that. And the interviewer, who was a very insightful person, asked her what her favorite book was. And to my surprise, she responded with Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree, which is a beautiful book. And so in the interview, she proceeds to read the book with tears filling her eyes. The interviewer is deeply moved. And after a couple seconds, trying to be gentle and patient and uh, not intrude in any way, he says, why does that story move you so much? Who have you hurt? Who have you used? Who have you been like the boy to? And she looks confused. And in this unexpected reversal, she says, the boy? I'm not the boy. I'm the tree. Now, for those of you who know the story, the story is that of a young and increasingly older boy who takes and takes and takes, and the tree gives and gives and gives. First its shade, then its fruit, then its branches, and then its trunk, until there's nothing left. So it's sort of shocking that Heidi Fleiss would see herself as someone who is selflessly given and given and given and given. How is this possible? Well, the reality is, she's not so different than us. Because we're really hard, it's really hard for us to recognize generosity in other people. It's really hard for us to see generosity in others. And it's really easy for us to see how we've been defrauded, used, abused, how we haven't been valued as we should. And what we're going to wrestle with tonight is the, is the problem, the reality, I think it really is a reality, that when we confront God's goodness, when we see God's goodness, His generosity, we may actually come to the conclusion that He's not good. Sounds a little crazy. But I think it's possible, and we see it in our story, that you can come face-to-face with God and His maniacal, almost, generosity, and come to the conclusion, I don't think I want anything to do with this. And what's behind this, you wonder, how does this work? Uh, And what we're going to see is it's because of our inherent selfishness. We can look, we can see God's generosity, and come to the conclusion, you know what? I'm not getting what I deserve. Or... God, you're just a little crazy because you're giving other people who don't deserve anything way more than they deserve. And uh, we can come to despise him and despise others. This uh, mad generosity that we're going to see in our story doesn't leave us a lot of choices. Basically, our our options are to take it or leave it. And uh, we're going to see in our text that because Jesus works according to this own economy of generosity that he has, we, we either have to delight in it We really have to delight in it or be excluded by it. Because Jesus works according to his own economy of generosity. We either have to join in the delight of it or be excluded by it altogether. So we're going to look at this uh, main theme by considering three things. God's generosity, uh, the worker's mentality, which is our mentality, and then what God desires of us. Okay, And uh, it's a pretty simple story. As we look at the story of God's generosity, uh, we see what it's about. Verse 1 tells us the kingdom of heaven. This is shorthand for the reign of God. We've been studying the kingdom of heaven a lot this semester because lots of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of heaven. That's this rich, multi-layered, multi-faceted reality that God reigns. He's in charge. And in Jesus and in his work now and in the past and in the future, he's bringing that more and more to bear in this world. And this story is just telling us one thing 
about the nature of that kingdom, this reign of God. That is marked by God's radical generosity. So, uh, this generosity of God that we're going to see is a part of his reign, is part of who God is and what he's like. And we also see, and uh, we don't see this because we didn't include it, but the, the first, right in front of this in chapter 19, verse 30, as well as the one that concludes it, tells us that God's generosity is a reversal. It's a, it's a subversion of traditional expectations. Verse 16, so the last will be first, and the first last. And chapter 19, verse 30 says the same thing. It's a reversal of traditional expectations. And um, I tend to think that we think we actually like this. Subversion. Sounds good. Reversal. The underdog. We like the underdog. Why? Because, well, we think we're the underdog. We look at the underdog and think, that's me. Go underdog. And, and really, uh, I think it's sort of summed up nicely by what I see all the time in some sports and some athletes where two evenly matched teams or one okay team beats the other. And in the interview, post-game interview, they say something like, we shocked the world. Really? Really? Actually, one, the world doesn't care. Two, I'm a sports fan. You didn't shock me. Uh, you're just naive. I mean, what would shock the world is if you like, pulled four homeless guys off the street, put them on the court, and they beat the other team. That would be a shocking upset. That would be a strange reversal. You are a professional team. You should win games. See, that's, that's the problem with us. We think we're these great underdogs. Uh, no. I mean, we're really, we're really not. Not all the time. And um, what we're going to see here is a shocking reversal sort of like that. And when this kind of thing actually happens in real life, you just sort of shock, scratch your head and shock disbelief and say, how did that happen? Actually, when these kind of shocking reversals actually happen in real life, where like the complete loser, number 64 in the bracket, knocks out the champion with one punch, you know what people do? They get angry. I paid $150 for this ticket. I got ripped off. That's exactly what happens. We actually don't like shocking reversals. We like to feel like there's some kind of norm uh, some kind of rule. And we see that God here is subversive and shocking. Well, I'm going to tell, retell the story a little bit. Uh, not because you're not smart, you can't read, you've read it. But because it's a fun story. And uh, what we have is a vineyard owner uh, waking up early in the morning, about 6 a.m. and going, well, he wakes up earlier than that. Because at 6 a.m. in the morning, he's out hiring day laborers. And... Um, they agree on a price, which is a denarius, which was the common day's wage. This is not excessive. It's not too little. It's just sort of what you would expect. And they go to work, 6 a.m. These are, if you will, the early bird gets the worm kind of folks. People that you know that about, probably, because college students. Unless you're an engineer, in which case, you're pretty much required to be this from day one. Um, and then... Uh, for some reason, and we're not really told why, this guy keeps going out. 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And he tells them, we'll come to terms. I'll pay you fairly. And that's enough for them. And so, over the course of what will be a 12-hour day, sunrise to sunset, um, he goes out five times. And the fifth time is the most shocking. The 11th hour, it's 5 o'clock in the evening. I mean, the workers that have been there are just sort of petered out. The sun's going down, dusk is settling in. Uh, we've gone from dew on the ground to the heat of the day to the sun setting. And basically, when the, when the farmer 
when this vineyard goes out and gathers these guys, I can't help but assume that, as they say themselves, no one else would hire us. These are the kids that have gotten fired from Subway. Uh, these are the kids that didn't make the track team, although there's no cuts. The kids never played an instrument. They're just sitting on the street corner smoking cigarettes. Those kids. And a few disgruntled, old, grizzled uh, senior citizens who fell asleep playing chess. And they hear someone say, anybody want to work for an hour? Sure, it's only an hour. It's terrible. We still get paid. It's only an hour. Why not? So they go out. They go to work for an hour. Sounds sort of fun, right? It's a fun picture. And, and sometime during the day, or perhaps it was in the night, I don't know, maybe it was the night before, maybe this is his policy, maybe he got heat, heat stroke, we don't know. Uh, the, the, the owner of the vineyard decides, let's have some fun. He tells his foreman, uh, let's pay them, like we always do, because you had to pay your day labor every day. Let's pay them, let's pay them last first. And so the last workers are paid first. And lo and behold, they get paid a whole day's wage. Now, they could have thought, hey, you made a mistake, or you're crazy, or hey, I don't really deserve this much. But of course, for the most part, they probably said, see you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here. This is great. And, and off they go. It's a beautiful tale of reversal and generosity. And uh, so far, it's just sort of a happy, nice story. Well, it doesn't say this way for long. Um, because at this point, we have to consider uh, the mentality of the other workers. And, and what we see is that they think they're deserving of more. Uh, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Well, um, when those hired first in verse 10, they thought they would receive more. And, and what you see here probably is a, a group of guys who've been hired at 6 in the morning, maybe using math for the first time in a couple of years. Those guys got paid $100 for their hour. That's crazy. Just good. Let's see, I work 12 hours. That's uh, 100 times 12. How much is that? It's a lot of money. Get me right, it's a lot of money. $200. $200. It's like, that's a year's worth of sin. And uh, the joy, the expectation, they thought they would receive more. And uh, what they're doing is figuring out how much they deserve. Like any human would. Um... And they were disappointed when they received exactly what they had bargained for, one day's wage. And they complained bitterly. We'll look at that in a second. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, the, the comedian Louis C.K. was uh, on Conan O'Brien, and he did this little spiel on everything's great, everything's amazing, and, and nobody's happy. And at one point, he's talking about uh, how... He was on a plane, and it was like the very first days of internet access on planes. Like the very first days, this is brand new, wireless internet on the, on the plane. And the stewardess comes on and says, hey, you're free to flip open your laptop, enjoy internet access for free. And everyone's like, this is great. So he's looking at YouTube videos, and this is brand new technology. 15 minutes later, it crashes. The stewardess comes on and says, I'm sorry, we're figuring this out. And everyone's like, okay, except for the guy beside him. And the guy beside him is like, this is bull crap. His immediate response is, this is crap. And Louis C.K. sort of thought to himself, really? Really? How quickly the world owes you something you didn't know existed ten minutes ago. You didn't know this existed ten minutes ago, and now you feel like you're getting gypped. That's sort of what these guys are like. That's sort of what we're like. It's so easy for us to think we deserve something, or we deserve more than what we really do. 
And uh, that's what we see in these men here. We see this in their words in verse 11. We see they begin to disparage the uh, vineyard owner and his generosity. In verse 11, uh, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour. You've made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day. Uh, what's their complaint? It's pretty simple. Uh, you've been generous to people, and that's fine. We don't mind you being generous. If you're going to be generous to them, you should be more generous to us. You should at least give us what we deserve. And what we deserve is more. We've done, we've done the most work. We've done the hardest work. We've suffered the most. And uh, they grumble because they feel like they're being treated unjustly. His response is pretty clear. Uh, did you not agree to work for me for denarius? Isn't this what we agreed on? Am I being unjust to you? He tells them in verse 14, hey, take what belongs to you. It's yours. You earned it. Take it and go. Feel free to leave. You can do what you want with yours. Verse 15, I have the right to do with mine whatever I want. It's mine. I can do with it what I like. If I want to give it away foolishly, I have the right to do so. So these people are disparaging uh, the vineyard owner uh, with their words. And in verse 15, I think he really hits at the heart of what's bothering them. Am I allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And some of these people are thinking, maybe you shouldn't have the right. Come back to that in a second. Uh, and then he asks, "Do you begrudge my generosity?" And that word "begrudge" is very interesting. It has a long history of uh, being used in Scripture. It actually describes uh, what we term the evil eye. They're giving him the evil eye, and in Scripture, that is a that's a a sign of a, of heart discontentment, of resentment, of jealousy. Uh, they're jealous of the generosity that the owner has shown these other men. They're resentful. And what they're concluding is something like, you know what? Yeah, I guess you could be generous. But if you're going to be generous, you have to be more generous to us. What we'd rather have in this situation is, just don't be generous to anybody. Just don't be generous. Just give it what we want. Scrap the whole deal. Um, And they begrudge him. They resent his generosity. Because they don't feel like they're getting what they deserve. He, of course, says, you've got exactly what you deserve. And now I want to come to us and talk about us for a second. Because I, this may seem a little theoretical to you, but I think when we get into our lives, it's easy to, to illustrate how this, or, or feel how this is reality to us. What do you complain about? What do you complain about? And don't tell me you don't complain. I hear that. Because <laughs> um, when you trace your words back to your heart, Probably what you're saying is, I deserve better. I deserve better treatment from my roommates, my university, the administration, my pastor, my family, my friends, pretty much everybody, and especially you, God. And we almost never say that because we're not that honest, and we don't really know our hearts that well. But basically, if you go through that whole litany of stuff, and you actually believe there's a God in the universe, and he's in control, and you complain about all those other things, what you're really saying is, God... You're not treating me like I deserve. Because if you knew what you deserved, which isn't uh, this kind of um, consequentless, carefree life you think you deserve, uh, then you wouldn't be so quick to complain. If you knew what you actually deserved, what do you think it is that God actually owes you? Do you think he's actually being unjust? Can't you see that these people, verse 9, were actually treated justly? They got a fair day's wage. They're not going to go home starving. 
you can get hired again the next day. The vineyard owner was having a bit of fun. He was being generous. I mean, this is sort of like, and I've never seen the show, because if it did, watch it regularly, it might make me cry, the home makeover deal. You know, when they show up and completely remodel someone's house, and it's all great, but what if you're the neighbor next door and your house sucks just as bad, and you're just as poor, and run down, and desperate? I mean, how easy it would be for you to complain, you know what, I'm actually poorer than that guy, my life's worse, what about me? And we do that all the time. We think God doesn't treat us like we deserve. We complain because God's actually being generous to others. It's hard for us to take light in the fact that good things are happening to others, especially if we don't think they're as good as we are. And the problem is we can't see ourselves very well. We can't see what we deserve. So we can't delight in this generosity. And in verse 15, sort of closing this section down, uh, he asks, am I allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And I think a lot of us would say, yep, God, it is your world. It is your vineyard. It is your right. But you know what? You would really benefit from God. You'd really benefit from hiring me as your general manager. You need to let me balance your books. Because your generosity is offensive. It's offensive. You don't treat me like I deserve. You don't treat others like I deserve. I see good people suffering. I see bad people prospering. It's all around me. And frankly, I think your administration stinks, God. I think, frankly, you need someone more realistic like me running the show. I know you're probably well-intentioned. Maybe you're just incapable of doing this. And what you're really saying in your attitude there is you don't trust God's generosity. Or you don't think he's good. And this is what I mean, that you can come to understand God's generosity and see it and still think God's not good. Because you don't think you're receiving as much as you should. So we've seen that God is unexpectedly generous. I don't want to pile on you so much that you can't see that this is amazing. He's given completely undeserving people a lot of undeserved grace. A lot of generosity. And God is like that. But it's also just like us to get what we deserve and complain. And to come to the conclusion that God is not good. Because we get what we deserve. Well, the good news is that God desires something from us. There's a couple pieces of good news. He is generous. He is generous. He, he's just and he's generous. But the next piece of good news is that God has a plan. He has a desire for us uh, to join him in this. Uh, an option for us is uh, what we have in verse 14. You can neither delight in God's generosity, this mad generosity God has. It seems to defy logic. Okay, It does defy our logic. Uh, or uh, you can uh, do what happens in verse 14. You can take what you want and go home. You can settle for the constant fight of of tallying up your hours and your good deeds and what you deserve and saying, God, I deserve this, give it to me. And if you do that, fine. You'll be miserable. You'll miss out on the party. You won't get the generosity. You'll miss out on seeing all these undeserving losers, last-minute losers, walk in and get treated with tremendous grace. And you know what? If you're that kind of person, you probably won't miss it because you won't understand it anymore. You're probably offended by it. So that's an option. And the reality is that some of us are just too busy balancing our books, waiting for God to reward us for being good little boys and girls, better than those people, that we're already excluding ourselves. And, and part of this parable, I have to say, is a parable of judgment. This is the scandal of the gospel. God is generous. He's gracious. He's wonderful. He rewards the undeserving. And you look at it, and it makes some of you sick. Because you think you're better than those people. 
And if you think that, well, you probably don't want to be a part of what God's doing. You probably don't want to be a part of it. Until you come to see, you know what, maybe I'm not any better than those people out there. Well, so one thing is exclusion. You can always take your stuff and go home. Throw yourself a pity party. And some of us do this naturally. I know lots of people that call themselves Christians that do this. They simply cannot delight in God's generosity. They're too busy balancing their books and figuring out how they're better than everybody else. But a far better option for us, and this is true whether or not you're a believer or an unbeliever, is to, is to find God's generosity, this mad, seemingly illogical, but wonderful graciousness of His is something wonderful to delight in. Something great to join. And I'm convinced that God wants us to join in. Um, I mean, it's sort of going beyond the, the, the bounds of what this parable is saying. But I want you to be the kind of people, I want myself to be the kind of people that after this day is over, you're one of the, you're one of the people that got hired at 6 in the morning. You earned your day's wage. And you go home and you tell your wife and your spouse, Worked hard all day today. The drunk next door got paid 12 times what I did. It was awesome. It was great. I have a crazy boss. He's nuts. It's so fun. It's going to be so fun tomorrow. I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go back tomorrow. What, well, will you get paid $1,200 tonight? I have no idea. I got all I need. I got a good boss. He gives me a job. It's more than I deserve. I mean, I, I mean... Complain, I'm lazy half the time. I don't really work that hard. I think I'm better than other workers, and I'm really not. He hires me anyway. Every day I got a job. He, he provides what I want. And he's generous and gracious and fun, and I just never know what's going to happen. He's going he's gonna to bless someone greatly tomorrow, and I have no idea what it's going to be like. It's wonderful. It's great. And what I want you to see is that joining in Jesus' delight, nature of his kingdom like this, is fun. It is great. It's wonderful. It's exciting. To join in, you want to do some pretty radical stuff. Like, stop caring about yourself so much. Stop caring about your accounting. The hours you've worked. All the good things you've done. How much better you are than all the people around you. You have to stop keeping lists. You have to stop caring so much about how you're getting jobbed, gypped, or screwed over by others. Realize that you really are, at times, a pouty, complaining, selfish worker. Pouty. Yeah. And I'm not beating you up. I'm talking about myself. And that we really are no better than everybody else. That uh, at the heart of it, what I really want is to take the vineyard owner and fire him and put myself in his place. Because I think he's better than he is. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about full-scale mutiny and rebellion. That's what most of us want. We don't deserve to be hired. We deserve to be fired. Because of the way we think and live and act. And instead, God invites us in and says, another fun day at work, guys. I'm going to do some amazing stuff. I don't know who it's going to be this time, but I'm going to pour out my rich generosity on someone you would never expect. And you get to be a part of that. You really do. When I was uh, an undergraduate... Um, school half my life ago. Um, I did this leadership training thing one weekend, and we played this strange game uh, wherein uh, there was a room of about 50 of us. There was one person in charge. She said, 
Okay, you simply must now do what I say. And what she said was this. Squat down on the floor. On your feet. No sitting. No standing. Close your eyes. Do not move. Okay. Rule number one. If I touch you once, you can stand. Rule number two. If I touch you twice, you can open your eyes. Rule number three. If I touch you three times, you can do whatever you want. And so for the next 15 to 20 minutes, most of us sat squatting in agony. It's not really easy to sit still squatting for 20, 30 minutes. It really hurts. And uh, when the 20, 30 minutes were over, some of us were still squatting. Some of us were standing as observant statues. Some people were sitting up against the wall. They had been freed and didn't know what to do. And about one person was having a lot of fun. Because <laughs> they had been freed to do whatever they wanted. And the first, we had tons of questions. Like, this is a leadership training seminar? What, what is this? The lady leading exercise only asked one thing. It was really interesting. She asked, those of you who were set free, why didn't you do what I was doing? Her, her question was, I'm going about setting people free. Why didn't you do that? Why don't you, why didn't it occur to you that you could participate in the same thing I'm doing and go about setting people free? And everyone was like, The answer is because we're so selfish and tied up in our own stories. We're too busy to bother. We're bearing our knees. And think of, we just don't think about what's possible. Some of you tonight are convinced that God cannot, will not. We just simply assume it will not happen. Call certain people to himself from this campus, from this world. They're just not the kind of people who belong in a group like ours that respond to Jesus. Skeptics and athletes and frat guys and angry, angry, broken people. Friends, God's going to call who he wants. He's going to pour out his generosity richly on people you would never, ever expect. So much so that sometimes it will make you angry. That's good. And what I'm telling you tonight is, you can participate in that. It's about the most fun thing in the world. It really is. To walk into a room with the thought now of the self-consumed, I'm just not getting what I deserve out of life. But instead of, I have a great God who's at work, he's generous, he does crazy stuff. Like, richly bless all kinds of strange people. I wonder who that's going to be tonight. And so when those kind of people walk into our group or some other group or your church, what are they going to find? Are they going to find a workplace atmosphere of early risers working hard to earn their day's wage? Are they going to find a bunch of people that are like, this is fun, this is a great job, I have a great master, he's very generous, you're really going to like it here. Because we serve a God who's willing to give, and give, and give, and give. He gives everything. He gives his life. He gives his very own life. He gives his death us in Jesus, that we might participate in this as well. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that this is the nature of the kingdom. This is the kind of thing you're bringing to bear in our world. Lord, I hope you would help us to see that um, whether we're believers or unbelievers, we really do have a problem with your grace. At the same time, we want you to treat us uh, graciously. We also want you to treat us more graciously than you treat other people. Because we think we deserve it. God, show us the depth of our selfishness. 
or something of it. Not so much that we would despair, but enough to help us turn to you. Show us your generosity. Show it to us in the person of Jesus. Help us to trust him and be glad and have the kind of uh, atmosphere characterize us as a group that would, uh, a place like this workplace where we just never know what kind of great, good thing you're going to do in our midst. Pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.